this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampad spanish teenager carlos alcaraz who won the us open last week has become the youngest male player to be ranked world number 1 there has been a lot of buzz over the 19 year old for some time now and while many felt he would win a grand slam sooner or later few would have expected him to claim both the grand slam title and the number 1 ranking this year itself but former world number 1 juan carlos ferrero who has been coaching alcaraz since he was 15 years old has said that his rapid rise may be a surprise to everyone else but not to him because i quote since the moment that i started with him i saw some things that were different than the other guys at his age i am still seeing it on the court unquote so what are these things that set alcaraz apart and with roger federer announcing his retirement are we at a moment in world tennis which marks the end of the big 3 era and the start of the alcaraz era with the courts to tell us more about alcaraz and what makes him so special we have with us n sudarshan the hindu's tennis correspondent Sudarshan, we know we have been busy this week covering the WTA Chennai Open. So thank you so much for taking time out for this podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Sampad. So Sudarshan, were you expecting Alcaraz to win the US Open this year, especially when we saw Yannick Sinner having a match point against him in the quarterfinals? I would say he was one among the favorites, but not the outright favorite. Because in any tournament, the big three, at least one or two of the big three players are there. You would make them the... outright favorites but we knew for a fact that the churn was about to start in men's tennis it was about time that the churn was about was to start but i don't think anybody would have penciled in alcaraz as the eventual champion because his form prior to the tournament was pretty ordinary i would say interestingly nick kyrgios has said he's going to win it and he said i told you so at the end of it yeah yeah i mean nick kyrgios i think has has some confidence behind this uh, statements now considering what he did at wimbledon so Uh, Alcaraz had a quarterfinal finish at Cincinnati. He had a second round finish at Montreal. He lost to Sinner. He lost to Musetti on clay. So his form was not that spectacular. And also, like you said, he was down a match point against Sinner in the quarterfinals as well. And he had three consecutive five setters. So everybody thought he would be visibly tired by the time he got to the final because New York can be pretty tough and damaging on your body because of all those two a.m. and three a.m. finishes. but he proved everybody wrong and uh, that was what surprised me uh, to your can to your question whether he was the outright favorite pre tournament or during the tournament i would say no he was definitely one with a chance but not the only favorite yeah you just mentioned his uh, three back to back five setters before the finals and matches finishing at 2 am and 2:30 and you know if it's very difficult to sort of uh, recover within a span of 24 hours and go back and play the final and the final was against Casper Ruud who was playing really well and he didn't have so many five setters to you know coming into the final so but still you know Alcaraz managed to sort of get over the line and so i was just curious what in your view are the factors that have enabled him to reach the pinnacle of world tennis at such a young age I mean, last year we also had in the women's tennis uh, Emma Raducanu winning the US Open but not many seemed particularly convinced by her victory and they have been proved right I mean she's been struggling the entire year uh, since her victory last year so but we don't hear similar notes of skepticism with respect to Alcaraz even though he has also won the US Open title for the first time 
and both Alcaraz and Raducanu are more or less the same age. So what is it that sets Alcaraz uh, apart in your view? I feel the world sort of discovered Raducanu only during the title run in New York. She might have been pretty well known in Britain, but outside of it, not many people knew about what she was capable of or what kind of a tennis player she was. But Alcaraz, if you see, has been quite building up to this because at 2021 US Open, he reached the quarters, he he beat Sissipas on route. And this year, he reached the Indian Wells semifinals, played a support match against Nadal, was unlucky to lose that. He won the Miami Masters. And then in Madrid, he beat Nadal, Djokovic and Zverev won three consecutive days, which I don't think a lot of people have done it. Definitely not a lot of people have beaten Nadal and Djokovic in consecutive days. And then he also won in Barcelona. So the body of work sort of ensured that people sat up and took notice of Alcaraz, which was not the case with uh, Raducanu. So I would feel that the form, the kind of tennis he played in the last one year and the kind of spirit he showed is what sets him apart from any other tennis player and Raducanu in this uh, comparison that you have just made. Right, and I was talking to some uh, tennis buffs over here in Delhi and some of them were of the view that Alcaraz is the typical embodiment of Spanish uh, tennis, you know, with its emphasis on extreme physicality, uh, bordering almost on suffering or some kind of, a, you know, punishing yourself. You have all those guys who sort of go on and on on play with, you know, 45, 50-shot rallies. And Nadal is a, is a, is a great example of you know, the kind of punishing physicality. Do you think Alcaraz's style of play in this sense is typically Spanish tennis? I would say the fighting spirit is typically Spanish, uh, like how you mentioned uh, the history of Spanish players and the kind of players it, they have produced on clay. So the fighting spirit is typically Spanish, but I would say he was more of an all-court threat at this stage than any Spanish player has been in the past. And Spanish players, unfortunately, also suffer from this uh, stereotyping or something that you'd say because they have predominantly been good clay court players uh, from Moya to Costa to Correja and then the early Nadal. So, and red clay, dirt and long rallies sort of give you the impression that they suffer through pain more than other players have to do. But I think this is slowly changing. You see Pablo Correno Basta and now with Alcaraz, this feel of Spanish players only suffering through pain and physicality sort of wearing off. And the game has sort of got so physical across surfaces that every player has to have that high pain threshold. So I'll say that Alcaraz does remind you of that famed Spanish fighting spirit and fighting through pain, but he's more of an all-crowd threat and he's in line with the current generation of players who do suffer through pain across surfaces. So I think we have to make, make that distinction with Alcaraz. Right. And I was just looking at some of these tournament highlight reels, you know, the various tournaments he's played. I mean, they, they, they have the best rallies and shots of the tournament. And, and whichever tournament uh, Alcaraz has played, you find that he sort of dominates those reels. And with good reason, because most of them are clips featuring his sort of incredible retrieving skills and athleticism. And he's good to watch. He's like, fans love to watch him. He draws them uh, to the arena. So is he the complete package when it comes to the kind of physical demands modern tennis makes on a player? For now, he seems to be like uh, he certainly has age on his side. But compared to other players, he seems very well advanced in terms of physicality at his age. Because I can make a comparison with Zverev at the 2017 Australian Open. I think he was just about turning 20 or 19. And he was two sets to one up against Nadal. 
and Nadal was coming back from from injury. He hadn't played for six months. It's the same tournament where Federer was also coming back after a lengthy layoff. So you'd have expected a younger player who had almost ten years on his opponent to take advantage and actually run your older opponent to ground. But Zverev just couldn't. His his legs were just not there. So in that sense, I feel Alcaraz is pretty advanced in how he has grown physically, and he's also. Much shorter than his contemporaries, he's six one compared to the other big guys like Zverev who is six five, Medvedev who is six six, which sort of helps him move about the court faster and quicker. And to be a great retriever, you also need to anticipate well, which Alcaraz seems to do well. So he gets a lot of balls that other players may not. So which is all also defines Nadal and Djokovic because they are also great retrievers because they are great anticipators. So. In all these aspects, uh, Alcaraz seems pretty advanced than his contemporaries. Right, and can you talk a little bit about his style of play? I mean, uh, of of the big three, say Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, whose style do you think uh, Alcaraz is is the most? He has said that he likes to sort of model himself on Federer, but I don't think many people would liken his style to that of Federer, who seems like complete uh, embodiment of effortless grace. Uh, I would say there are different parts of Alcaraz's game which actually uh, represents or is closer to different of different players. So his forehand is definitely closer to Federer's in how it shapes the swing with which he hits. There's no bent elbow; it's clean, and the follow through is also quite like Federer's. But like Djokovic, he's actually forceful of both wings because he doesn't need that much pace to generate power. Uh, I remember Sissipas when he lost to uh, Alcaraz at last year's US Open, saying that the kind of speed with which Alcaraz could hit, he had never seen it from anybody else. So he shares this quality with Djokovic, and the forehand is close to Federer's, and he has the athleticism of Nadal and the fighting spirit. So he sort of embodies the best aspects of all these three players, I would say, and he also plays very attacking for strike tennis with without the height advantage is pretty impressive. Because Daniel Medvedev, Berrettini, Zverev—they are all six five and above and have big serves, with which they get a lot of free points and set up their third shot. So Alcaraz not having that height advantage, but still playing this kind of attacking tennis, and he has been able to do that by employing the best facets of all the big three players that you just mentioned. Right. I mean, with all the best facets of uh, the big three, sort of uh, does seem to be sort of very intimidating. Some kind of a super tennis player uh, at this juncture, and one wonders what his weaknesses are. Like, what are the opponents who are going to be around for the next fifteen, twenty years going to do? And one such question was uh, raised after his U.S. Open victory. His coach Ferrero was asked if there is anything in Alcaraz's game that can be improved. Is there any chink in his armor? And he said. Uh, very blandly, he said, serve, return, and backhand. I mean, what exactly did he mean by that? I mean, we are, we are watching and we don't see any any weaknesses in his return or backhand or serve. And there's only so much the lay person can see and detect. So, do you agree that there is scope for improvement there? What did he mean by that? Yeah, I do feel there is always scope for improvement because uh, for someone who doesn't have the height, the serve can also and always be continuously improved on because. Each of these players, both Nadal and Djokovic, have over the years improved their serves so much because he doesn't have a big serve, but he can have a very intelligent serve. That's what Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic have. When I saw him serving, I think in, in Madrid or the match against Djokovic was it in Barcelona or Madrid? 
That was Madrid. Madrid, the semi-finals, yeah. Madrid, yeah. Semi-finals, and he was just serving to, you know, pulling Djokovic way off the court with his kick serve, you know, to, to his backhand, and he was not able to return. So I thought he was really, uh, he had a, I mean, even though he, he may not have the height, he had this kind of high kick serve, which seemed to be very difficult. Djokovic was barely able to return when Zverev was struggling. So, so isn't that a unique uh, skill set in itself? Yeah, it is. He was able to execute it in that one match, but it also has to be looked at how repeatable it is and whether he can translate that to other surfaces and uh, whether he can do it against Nadal, whether he can do it against people who with who have such gangly arms like Medvedev. Medvedev is actually a very weird player in that he serves as well as he returns. So these are different kinds of problems he'll face in the next. One, one or two years, that is when his problem-solving capacity will actually come into play. So, this uh, service can certainly be worked upon. It can be more intelligent. He can get people wide, but he can also drill on the tee. So, this is something he can certainly improve on. And I actually remember what Mats Willander said uh, sometime last year when he said that he still doesn't see Alcaraz playing with different kinds of backhand spins. So, the spin is generally associated with more with forehand and the different kind of forehand top spins that you use. But uh, Willander was actually referring to the backhand spins and how he uh, actually hits it. If you see, his backhand is more of a lunge. The contact point is much higher than compared to someone like Djokovic. So, Djokovic can actually drill it down the line or hit it cross-court from the same position. So, these are the kind of improvements that he can still make. Maybe that's what uh, Ferrero was actually referring to when he said backhand and serve and not and he didn't mention the forehand. So these kind of varieties will actually help him. And you also get to know more of the weaknesses when you are presented with newer problems. He has not actually faced, I don't think he has played any of the big three at the Grand Slams. And he has not exactly played Beritini or Medvedev at their best. Sissipas has been sort of on and off and he's a very good player on clay. So these are the kind of problems that he'll be presented with in the coming year, coming years. And like like Ferrero said, uh, these can be his uh, improvement points. Right. It, it is true, as you said, that when you are presented with new problems uh, to which a game is not uh, by default designed to address, then uh, you will be tested on your ability to sort of expand your, your array of weaponry and build your game and grow your game and make it stronger as well. And one of the things that stand out when one is watching Alcaraz play is, at least for me, is his mental strength. When time and again, uh, even when his opponent seems to be getting the better of him, his body language never seems to change. He never seems to doubt himself. He doesn't show any nerves, not even in the Grand Slam final, which he's playing for the first time. I mean, how common or rare is this level of self-belief and mental strength in tennis? Because... Tennis is a solitary endeavor and like most solitary endeavors like writing, for instance, you are with your thoughts alone for the most part and self-doubt is as widespread among tennis players so far as I know as it is among writers. But Alcaraz never seems to doubt himself in any moment on the court. So is it really a possible or is it just his projection to intimidate his opponents? Uh, I feel it's quite rare in the current context because you see all the youngsters who have faced their big opponents at the initial stages. They have all sort of flinched. Team lost a couple of French Open finals to Nadal. Medvedev lost his first final to Nadal. Medvedev also lost to Djokovic. And Berrettini and Tsitsipas uh, last year in 2021, both at the French Open and Wimbledon. So that's what sets Alcaraz apart. I feel that he has not shown any of these big match nerves. 
and that is one quality i think he surely shares with nadal because when nadal arrived he was not particularly intimidated by federer and he almost beat federer in his first masters final so i feel that alcaraz doesn't have those uh he doesn't he certainly has respect towards his opponents but he is not overawed by them and the next couple of years will be sort of interesting how he responds it's like he, even if he is playing against the, the best players in the world it's like he always expects to win even when he's like two sets down he expects to win i mean like we saw in the french open against ramos vinolas it's like vinolas had a match point he could have won i mean he was almost winning but you always felt that alcaraz is is still in the game I mean, is this something uh, he, he he must have worked on with his coach, or is it something which is naturally given as part of his talent or whatever? Uh, I would say it's a mix of both because players do work with a lot of psychologists these days. I think Shiantek is a good example of how she has actually developed these big match nerves by working with a psychologist. So I would say he definitely had the mind space to improve on it. and it is also acquired now in the past one years he would have definitely been told that he needs he need not be overawed by uh, big players which he has sort of done well and like you said against uh, ramos vinolas that's actually one interesting thing that you mentioned that he had a match he was a match point down uh, like the big players he has the ability to actually play very bravely when the chips are down so that is not a quality that many people will have so when they are down a match point against anybody for that matter the natural reaction for anybody would be how to save this but this guy just goes all out attacking without any apprehensions about whether he loses the point or win the point so i think that is something he shares with the big players already that to be brave at the most important and the most high pressure points so that is something both acquired and and uh, also naturally bonded yeah that's a very good point actually when I mean, most players from what what i've seen and even when you if you play yourself you mean the, the natural tendency is to sort of play percentage tennis and you want to keep it safe if it's a match point situation or a very critical break point situation most players would want to keep it safe keep the ball in play and wait for the opponent to make a mistake and most points are decided on the basis of errors which is so which is percentage tennis but alcaraz he always backs himself to sort of to be the winner and even if he uh, even if the attempt flops he doesn't seem to mind it he comes back and does it again yeah he does because like you said that was in evidence in the madrid match against nadal uh, nadal won the second set and he was clearly in ascendancy he was up uh, 2-1 and i think alcaraz was down uh, 0-30 or something so nadal was closing in on a break and and such kind of breaks nadal won't let go of and Alcaraz just went for two audacious forehand winners and then he passed Nadal with a superb backhand so those three points i wouldn't have expected any player to have done the other player would have been like okay let's wait for Nadal's level to drop so you are you are just bang on target when you said that where most players play safe Alcaraz just doesn't believe it right and one final question uh, suggestion before we wind up So Alcaraz as you pointed out earlier is yet to beat one of the big 3 in a Grand Slam tournament. So any thoughts on a potential Djokovic Alcaraz meeting in a Grand Slam next year maybe the Australian Open or or Wimbledon how do you think it could go? I'll be very eagerly looking forward to it because uh, both Nadal and Djokovic have sort of been somehow better than this next generation of players like 
there was a streak when Djokovic literally beat team Medvedev, Berrettini and Tsitsipas for four of his Grand Slam titles, I think in 2020 and 2021. So I'll be very interested to see how uh, Alcaraz plays against one of the greatest returners uh, the game has ever seen in Djokovic. Uh, we unfortunately can't see him play against Federer now that he has announced his uh, retirement uh, and he won't be playing after next week. So that is something that I'll be very disappointed with. Uh, but Djokovic matchup, I'm certainly looking forward to. And Nadal, they have actually played on and off in uh, these three set matches. Again, Grand Slam tennis is different. So I'll be very eagerly looking forward to his matchups with Nadal and Djokovic. Definitely in the next year because I don't know for how long Nadal will be playing. So. Yeah, those, those should be your popcorn matches for the next year. Right, popcorn matches for sure. I mean, many people were sort of concerned that there didn't seem to be anybody coming up, stepping up to the plate to sort of take over the mantle of, you know, being the, the big one, two, three, whatever of men's tennis. But now I think with, with Alcaraz, we certainly have found a, a kind of a successor to sort of take it forward and draw fan support, popularity, excitement to the sport because he's always wonderful to watch. Thank you so much, Sudarshan, for joining us and for sharing your thoughts and comments on this phenomenon. We look forward to having you back again sometime soon. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sampath. It was a pleasure being here. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.